3: With deep jawbreaker eyes, red rope hair,
4: gumdrop lips, cotton candy thighs.
3: You're my
1: candy. <laughs> Apes
0: have taken over. The whole damn podcast is ape-themed. To start with, there's Frank's dreamlike memory of Oliver,
2: the strange ape with a strange life. Then we return to the planet of the apes with a collage of interviews with those who were there. Next, there's a discussion about Lancelot Link, secret chimp. And then a cautionary tale about an orangutan who went berserk. And of course, much, much more. This is Jimmy Sweets. And this is Uncle
0: Frank. Signing on. Let's get started.
5: Well, I very often start my lectures by greeting the audience with the sound they would hear if they came with me to Gombe National Park or one of the other forests where chimpanzees live, or even in a zoo. In the morning, you hear this wonderful, which is basically, hello, this is me, who's out there? And every single one has their own individual voice, so you know exactly who's calling, and that's how they maintain contact.
1: Lance Lightly, secret chimp. Stands for justice, he has no fear. He's the call, and near. Lance Lee, you got to come through, everybody. Come on, you. Just like a good ape should shut up, man. What you gonna do? You gotta stop the truck ch- jobs up to you. Santa <coughs> Monica Butcher, you better beware. Santa Cunning, and you don't pay fair You got an evil chauffeur in the creed his name. And that woman's lovely, but she's wicked all the same, old oh, man. Sleep. What you gonna do when that doctor's <coughs> danger man comes up to you? For you. Oh, me.
2: I remember Lancelot Link finally. I always thought it was weird and clever, and on some level, I always recognized how elaborate it was. There were lots of sets built and, and costumes and props. Like the banana phone and the golf club phone and lots of phones, tennis racket phone, wherever it was that was one of the gags. I think we're went, ahead of
0: ourselves, Frank. Let's first explain to the listeners what Lancelot Link is. Well, that's true.
2: <laughs> Lancelot Link was a very crazy show with a bunch of talking chimps. <laughs> sort of a it's a parody of Get well, can't parody get smart. It was like continuing the get smart vein and parodying man from uncle and
0: Definitely it was a live action show with real chimpanzees in it, and they were dressed, like you said, with all kinds of elaborate costumes and elaborate uh, you know, jokes, and it was all like a spy-themed uh, show.
2: And I don't know if the chimps
0: liked it, but we <laughs> thought it was hilarious. <laughs> we sure did, and I think that's the
2: point, right? Is that the point? I don't know if the animal... That's my is. animal rights <laughs> stance. <laughs> yes. Well, whether you can get behind a bunch of trained chimps or not, uh, today we're going to have a little discussion of landslide link and what all the hubbub was about and james has a note because he i don't even think he remembers seeing it
0: (laughs) well i i think i have seen it but uh uh i'll reserve the uh right to say that i haven't when you talk about something (laughs) i don't know
2: (laughs) so here we go landslide link
0: At the Coconut Groove, the city's most
6: exclusive discotheque, Lancelot Link and the Evolution Revolution, the secret recording group of eight, appeared to be just ordinary entertainers. But little do most of the patrons know that the Evolution Revolution is passing special coded information through their song to an ape agent. However, one group did know what was going on the evil criminal organization known as Chump.
3: Thanks, folks. It's a real gas playing for you. Hang in there and we'll be back with more groovy music.
2: Well, I, what I do remember, I remember fondly. And on some level, I always recognized that it was pretty elaborate. They had all these sets um, and they went on lots of locations and they had lots of costumes. Then I read later that because it was so elaborate, they would use the same sets and costumes and settings you know, for several episodes. So, because they couldn't, you know, they... they. I think it was a million bucks for all the, the whole series, for 17 episodes. That's pretty good. In, the, in what year? 1972, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's crazy. It was a Saturday morning thing. For Lancelot Link, secret yeah, chip. Yeah, secret chip. <laughs> a million dollars. They used to have these great props. They would... Um, they were biting off of, of course, all the spy stuff, but especially just get smart. Uh, but, you know, they had big people behind it there were stan burns and mike mammer uh they worked for 25 years in a partnership for writing for a lot of great shows ernie kovacs steve allen smother brothers swillip wilson they did kid smart and that's i think where they got the idea and they worked on the caribou net show they're the ones that wrote they got an emmy for it they wrote the uh parody of gone with the wind when she's wearing the curtain oh on the caribou yeah. yeah on the it's like show. it
0: went with the wind i think is is, is yes. the thing it's called right <laughs> I think their pitch for this whole thing was like, two words, talking (laughs) apes.
2: They had a great cast, too. They had, well, they had uh, this guy named Malachi Thorne, and nobody knows his name, but I don't know if you even remember this. There was a thing called It Takes a Thief. Does that ring a bell? (laughs) Like, no, nobody knows. This guy was uh, Robert Ranger's handler on It Takes a Thief, and then you might have seen the Menagerie, the Star Trek one. Yeah, of course. This guy is... uh, is, um, what was his name? I think it was Commodore Mendez, and he was the prosecutor on the trial in that.
0: Okay, okay. So
2: when they had him, and they had a bunch of actors, they had Bernie Capel from Love Boat, the doctor, and then he was uh, uh, what was he, Conrad or something and Get Smart? And then there was Joan Gerber. She did Freddy the Flute and H.R. Puffin and stuff, and she was on Wait Till Father Gets Home, and Mel Blanc was in it, too. There was a bunch <laughs> of people. Lots of people. The crazy thing about this, and part of the they partly wrote it too because what they would do is shoot these scenes and they shoot several of them they never knew what the chimps were going to do and they would either they had symbols little signs that the trainers would give so they would move their mouth but a lot of times they just had to give them bubble gum or peanut peanut butter butter or something and they moved their mouth. and they didn't know if they were going to go two more times or just suddenly open their mouth real wide and so they would sort of have to ad-lib the stuff and so they would just break into song all of a sudden if it looked like it. Or they would go into nursery rhymes if it sort of fit It was sort of like trying to do the speed racer thing and, and make the, try to fit in with the mouth. So it would be all kinds of weird uh, spacing and stuff. And then, you know, the chimps would just do something and they would just go with it. And that, the story would change with that. So I think that might have been the funniest part of the show because it was so weird and wacky
0: sounds like they did the same thing for the Seinfeld (laughs) spinoff. What was the Seinfeld spinoff? You know, with David, uh, (laughs) you know, on
2: HBO. (laughs) I don't think I saw it. I don't know what that was. Yeah, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, well, that's not a spinoff. That's a whole new show. Anyway,
0: (laughs) I like that show. Uh, well, I know, I, but they improv everything, like oh, as well. if their mouths were open like chimp. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, they, their agency was Ape, Agency to Prevent Evil, and the villain was Chump, criminal headquarters for the Underworld Master's Plan. And uh, so there was a lot of spinoffs on that. They had all these characters, they had Mata Harry, they had this one chimp that was Ali Assassin, I guess. And there was one chimp that could work with the hawk because they put a hawk on his shoulder, and I don't know the others would try to tear it off and throw it or I don't know what happened. But no one uh, got extra bananas. I, they just had different temperaments, and, and they they sort of tried to control it, but they really I don't think could much. And they did little other characters. They had one that was um, well, the leader. His name was Darwin, and they'd always go, "What's your theory, Darwin?" And <laughs> just stupid, give throwaway jokes like that. And there was a band, the Evolution Revolution, and um, they noticed one day that the chimps would be banging on stuff and going crazy. They'd say, Why don't we do a band? So they gave them instruments and stuff. And when they played the music, they swear up and down that the, they would beat to a rhythm, to the same rhythm. And they would have all these songs. And and uh, well, we'll play one right now.
3: Hi there. I'm Ed Simeon. Right now, I have something groovy for you. Groovy. It's a new recording group called Lancelot Link and the Evolution Revolution. So, for all of you young youngsters out there, here they are with one of
7: their latest tunes. It'll be a really big show. Woo, 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 woo. Lancelot Link and the Evolution Revolution. I
8: miss I
5: thought just a minute ago
8: He
4: asked me if
8: I'd like
1: Say you'll stay out there Won't you be mine Mine, 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 mine Mine, 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 mine mine.
4: Sitting in the show She said you like me And you let me hold her hand I never thought to be
6: Won't you say you stay
1: away
2: So we can see, I don't know who wrote this. or I'm not even sure if they just got it from someone else, if that was already released. But they came out with their own album because my uh, friend Patrick Harvey had one. I was tripping out and I thought, oh, that's very cool because he had the, an album. So they put it out on vinyl. The original ones, they would play Warner Brothers cartoons in them. They were an hour. And they were new Warner Brothers. They were, I, I don't know... I can't remember if they were like Bugs Bunny or something, but they were through the Warner Brothers Company. And then just like the other Saturday morning cartoons, the, the second season was just repeats and without the cartoons, so they could fit in in a half an hour slot. So... Old Lancelot Link, million dollar chimp. Well, yeah. <laughs> and and then they, after two seasons, they cancel it. And I don't know if it was just because of the money, because that would be... There were 17 episodes. and And then it went into syndication... And kept going, you know, forever. I don't know if it was on the regular networks, but everywhere else we keep seeing it. And then I, I'm surprised you didn't see this because they had it on the comedy channel in the 80s and it was on Nick at Night. No, I, TV I, I, I have again. seen
0: it because uh, they, they, uh, they definitely, you know, had stuff like that that I watched and uh, it's got
2: to be it. Well, and, and like you said, they did those other chimp things. But I think that's... A thing of the past. Nobody wants to see chimps have to put clothes on. <laughs> Anymore, it had a brief right? resurgence
0: in, in, yes. in the thing, I'm telling you. And you know what? The internet is, has done this to every single animal alive. They have talking chimps. My kids are crazy about this crap that is terrible. But they Which have one? They have like talking. They'll just have animals doing weird stuff and then they computerize their mouths and come to up with, and yeah like, to come up with whatever it is there's this chimpanzee or not chimp there's a guinea pig one that my kids are all into that it like is in a, a towel and it peeks its head out and peeks at it in, and he's talking about turtles he's like look turtles do this they come in there they bring their head in
2: they bring their head out oh my gosh and
0: it's so it's a uh,
2: that's not Bernie Capel I, I don't yeah <laughs> or any of these and these guys they were great writers so yeah there was at least some humor there that was uh, other than uh, the weird novelty of chimps jabbering around. Yeah. But anyway, well, that was very short, but there's not much to say about Lancelot Link. You'd but, either but like it, sweet. You either like it or you hate it. But uh, we're holding our glasses up to Lancelot Link right now. Clinkety-clink. Syncret secret chimp. Chimpies! <laughs>
3: Say, are you ready, Freddy? Yeah, go, Joe. All then. Tell me, why don't bananas snore, hey pal? Uh, let me think. I don't know why. Why don't bananas snore? Well, I'll tell you why they don't, old pal. Because they might wake up the rest of the bunch.
1: Chimpies!
3: Are you ready, Freddy? Yeah, go, Joe. Tell me, why did the banana run away when he saw the lion? I don't know. Why did the banana run away when he saw the lion? Because it was yellow. (laughs) (laughs) huh? Say, are you ready, Freddy? Yeah, go, Joe. Tell me, what do you get if you cut a banana into 52 slices? I don't know. What do you get if you cut a banana into 52 slices? A deck of bananas.
9: First this thing and then another, and I thought I'd better give you a, uh, an exclusive on a late-breaking news story that oh. we have here on our front page of our little Greensboro Record newspaper. Well, I'm sure proud to hear it. And I, you're always interested in the story behind the story, so I, I thought I'd give you this one, you and your listeners, and see what you thought of it. Uh, it's uh, the it's headline. It's, this is one monkey. He's glad to get off his back. And its uh, story comes from Shelby, the AP story from Shelby, North Carolina. It's a little town down in the eastern part of the state. But it says, a few months ago, Jeff Ellis of Shelby saw the Clint Eastwood movie, Every Which Way But Loose. Right. Ellis was amused by scenes featuring the orangutan Clyde, Eastwood's co-star, who stole the show with his cute and crazy antics. Today, however, you couldn't pay Ellis to watch the movie or anything else having to do with an orangutan. That's because Ellis recently bought an orangutan for a pet, and it really did turn him every which way but loose. Quote, it tried to kill me, Ellis says of the orangutan, and he has teeth wounds up and down both legs and on his arms to prove it. Ellis says he spotted the orangutan in a pet store while shopping with his girlfriend a couple of weeks ago. He was named Rocky. (laughs) 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 Quote, the thing was so cute and playful and all, end quote, Ellis says, quote, we went up and fed it a bite of bologna, a bite of bologna sandwich, and it drank a Coke and everything. I asked the owner what he wanted for it. He told me, and I told him to hold it. I'd be back tomorrow, end quote. Ellis says he went back and bought Rocky, and the company offered to deliver it in their van to Ellis' front door. Quote, when the guy drove up in the van and the thing jumped out, he said, quote, when the guy drove up in the van, the thing jumped out, and he goes up a tree, Ellis says. After the van left, Ellis says he finally got Rocky down from the tree. After taking him in the house, Rocky suddenly attacked, and all out out fight ensued. (laughs) Ellis isn't frail. In his early 20s, he's about 6 foot tall and weighs 190 pounds, and he was a standout football player at Shelby High School. Rocky, Ellis says, is just about three feet tall and couldn't have weighed more than 40 pounds. Don't get me wrong, Ellis says. At first, I fought him back. After he bit me a couple times, I hit him upside the face with my fist. He was bleeding and I was bleeding. But he had all these monkey hands, all four of them, and I only had two. And he was so dang strong to be so little. As Rocky was getting the best of the fight, Ellis said he tried to run from the orangutan. A friend who was <laughs> a friend who was at the house at the time locked himself up in a pickup truck in Ellis' driveway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. It ran out the back door. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me get myself together here. All right. Uh, 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 I ran out the back door, and the and the thing starts chasing me. Ellis, friends. <laughs> that's <laughs> Rocky, funny. Rocky chased Ellis down the back door. <laughs> <laughs> into the <laughs> water, behind his house, and into a creek. In the world, uh, in the creek is where I thought it had nailed <laughs> 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 uh-huh. I started firing up to my knees in mud. Luckily, Rock Rocky stopped and returned uh. back up the hill. I guess he felt sorry for me, Ellie said. While trying to free himself from the mud around the creek, uh. Ellie says he realized he had to capture the orangutan <laughs> soon, since children would be getting off the bus near his house.
10: Oh, that's right.
9: Uh, Ellis went back to the house Got the chain that came with Rocky And was looking for the orangutan In an effort to capture him That's when Rocky went on the rampage again (laughs) This time the ape chased Ellis down Hampton Street (laughs) In all, Rocky bit Ellis severely Several times on the legs Bit him on the arm through a leather jacket And ripped out his blue jeans After the ordeal ended, Ellis was treated by his family physician and received a vaccination. After escaping from Rocky the second time, Ellis says he called the pet store and told them to retrieve the (laughs) orangutan. The pet store in turn called Rocky's former owner A lady in Hickory, North Carolina, whose husband had sold her pet to the store, according to Ellis. This lady drives up, puts a cracker in her teeth, and goes up to it and eats it, and it takes it from her mouth, Ellis says. With the lady, the orangutan was like a little baby, he says. She ate a cracker from the lady's mouth. and and ate ham off of me, my (laughs) legs, Ellis says. The lady explained to Ellis that Rocky didn't like men. The lady's husband rolled up his pants leg and showed Ellis his scars to prove it. The woman took Rocky back to Hickory. The pet store gave Ellis his money back. Ellis says he has learned a valuable lesson. Quote, I just want to tell people one thing, Ellis says. You think you can buy just any kind of animal, take it home, and have yourself a nice pet. It ain't always like that. I was lucky. If he had ever got me around the neck, the dang old thing would have killed me. (laughs) Though, though, Though the experience wasn't funny when it happened, he said his friends and relatives have gotten a good laugh out of it. Several have sent him stuffed monkeys, and posters and cards with pictures of orangutans on them. Ellis, however, still doesn't roll on the floor laughing about the ordeal. Quote, it was like a nightmare. I didn't sleep that night. I finally went over and stayed with my parents for a couple of days. Ellis says he has no plans to buy another pet anytime soon. Quote, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever buy another pet, he says. I hate animals now. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy a little bitty, in parentheses, baby chicken, <laughs> sometime. But that'll be about all. So that was it.
5: This
4: is WBZ Boston, the spirit of New England, Group W, a Westinghouse broadcasting station coming up at 11 o'clock.
3: Everybody at the Cherry Tree
6: House. I got my shades on. Let's go. This beat
1: make me go eight. This drink make me go eight. This club make me go eight. Everybody go eight. Now jump, 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 jump. Now jump, 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 jump. Everybody go A. Just shut your mouth now. Buy me a drink. drink. I didn't come to talk, talk. I'm not so Shrink. Drink. Molly friend is a DJ. Hey. He knows what we like. like. He plays our records and he plays them all night. Hey, yeah. He plays them all night. We got DJ Brand- up in the cherry tree house. Up in the cherry tree house. Up in the cherry tree house. this in ready? to go house. this in make me go house. Up go, the cherry tree house. go, A. Everybody go A. Now, drum, drum,
11: The party ain't good. no drunk, I don't care about nothing. Unless you wanna, unless you wanna follow me to my castle. If we can do this
0: right, let me be your DJ. I can spin you all night. Hey, here we go. i spin you all night, nah nah and i spin you all night, nah nah that i spin you all
1: night. Not, This beat make me go A This street make me go A This club make me go A Everybody go A Now jump, jump
6: Jump Give it the a jump jumping up For movement we
1: make it go. Hey hey, stereotype, yeah they make it go. Hey hey, welcome to the jungle.
2: Memory, well, not exactly. I have a memory of a memory, like all memories, I suppose. Always one step removed. Anyway, it's this commercial, an ad for a place called Enchanted Village. That's what replaced the Japanese Deer Park when the deers all died. The commercial was promoting some new act. The pitchman announced the Island of Dr. Moreau humanimal stunt show. On the screen were these guys running around, jumping, doing flips mostly attacking each other, all dressed up as the John Chambers version of the Beast Men. The 1977 Dr. Moreau movie had just come out. I was watching this thinking cool, very cool when the scene changed and this weird maybe chimp comes walking out upright into view the pitchman says Oliver, bizarre and bewildering Then the ad ended. they trotted out this small-headed ape, that looked like it had been baby powdered and declared it to be both bizarre and bewildering, and that was it. I never saw the commercial again and have never found anyone else who's seen it. And I've asked over the years, believe me, people would just look at me funny and say, did you dream that? And sometimes over the years, I believed that I had done just that. Then came personal computers and the internet and YouTube. And one day it came to me, Hey, I can look up this Oliver thing and see if I'm really crazy. So first I tried Enchanted Village commercials. That was a bust. Then I tried Oliver slash chimp. And there he was. Pages of him. How had I missed all this? There were documentaries and news items, debates over his chimpness, the term Human Z coined to describe him, and sadly, there were memorials on the occasion of his death. I would never meet Oliver. His story turned out to be way crazier than I could have ever imagined when I first saw him in that commercial all those years ago. Oliver was born in the Congo region of Central Africa, but he didn't live there very long. While still a baby, he was brought to the U.S. A man named Frank Berger, who had been a guide in Africa when he was young, owned this animal act. And he and his wife Janet trade dogs, pigs, chimps, and ponies, and were regulars on The Ed Sullivan Show. Frank's brother, who was still doing business in Africa, sent him three chimps in 1960, and one of those was Oliver. The Burgers could see a big difference in the young chimp right away, and those differences only became greater as Oliver grew. He had a smaller head than regular chimps, a somewhat flatter face, very little hair on that small head, and a voice that was described as birdlike. His strangest attribute, though, was his preference for walking upright. From the age of four or five months until arthritis came in old age, Oliver walked straight up on two legs. He walked very little on his knuckles. All of the Burgers' other chimps, of course, would have nothing to do with Oliver. But according to the Burgers, Oliver didn't care. He preferred human company. The Chimp spent his time with the Burgers picking up more and more human behavior over the years. It seemed to come naturally. Some he learned by watching. Other behaviors were taught to him. But not with rewards. Oliver wanted to do what humans did. The chimp would have coffee in the morning and a mixed drink at night, which Oliver actually poured and stirred himself. He smoked cigars, watched TV with the burgers, washed his own hands, and he could do chores. One was filling a wheelbarrow full of hay out of the horse stalls and taking it to wherever Janet pointed to. This went on for 16 years until Oliver became sexually mature. Then he was a problem. He didn't have interest in female chimps at all, but he did have interest in human women. Janet Berger bore the brunt of all this. At first, it was just extra signs of affection, but then Oliver became more aggressive. One day, Oliver grabbed Janet, spun her around, and tried to mount her. After that, the burgers began looking for someone else to sell Oliver to. About this time, an article came out in the papers that alleged Oliver might be a missing link And a lawyer, Michael Miller, read the article and was fascinated by it, so much so that he arranged to go see this weird ape. Miller says when he first met Oliver, the chimp shook his hand warmly. Miller was very impressed with this and everything else about Oliver. He bought him right there and then. He, however, left Frank Berger to take care of Oliver, since the lawyer didn't have facilities or the knowledge for taking care of a chimp. I don't know how this would solve the problem of Oliver's newfound randiness. Maybe they kept him somewhere away from the Burgers' home. The lawyer Miller seems to have thought that maybe Oliver was a missing link. He definitely wanted to be on some groundbreaking science. But that was derailed when a story went out on the wire that Miller had himself a Bigfoot. The next day, Miller's office was swamped with reporters and science wasn't on their minds. All this notoriety did lead to an invitation to the Adventurer's Club's banquet and a Japanese TV special. Michael Miller accepted both invitations with the understanding that a serious scientific investigation would be the theme. The banquet turned out alright, but the Japanese TV special began as a sideshow. There were stage photos of Oliver in a kimono and sitting in an airplane seat. And insinuations that Oliver might be the love child of a human and a chimp, a human z. Later, there were some serious studies done, including a look at Oliver's chromosomes. There were some minor differences, which the scientists said might be just human error in the testing, otherwise, he had normal chimp DNA. This didn't seem to dampen people's belief in Oliver's mysterious parentage. Then, an article came out in the Japanese papers claiming that Oliver would be having sex while in Japan with a Japanese actress and that this would be televised in the interest of science. Miller sued over this and other misrepresentations, and he won, but all this media circus finally got to him. His dream of being part of a great scientific discovery was not panning out. In the end, he donated Oliver to Ralph Helfer. Ralph Helfer was part owner of Enchanted Village. This is where I came in. I can't believe I was oblivious to all the publicity that came before Oliver's coming to the village, or the LA Times article that came out in the 80s for that matter, but I was. So Oliver came to be at Enchanted Village with Ralph Helfer. Helfer was an interesting and famous phenomenon in his own right, the controversial developer of affection training. In 1955, he had bought 1,500 acres around the Vasquez Rocks area in California, these were the rocks that were seen in everything from the Werewolf of London to the Star Trek Gorn episode. He opened his animal training company there and called it Nature's Haven. But when the 14 Freeway cut his property in half, he moved to a place called Solidad Canyon and opened a new ranch. This one he called Africa USA. A lot of famous animals came out of that place. Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion and Judy the Chimp from Doctari and Ben from the Gentle Ben TV series. Shows were shot there too, like the before-mentioned Gentle Ben and Doctari, but also Star Trek and other shows like the short-lived Chuck Norris Cowboy in Africa. At Africa, USA, Helfer created what he called affection training. Supposedly, he used love, understanding, and respect instead of the whip in the chair. He had his critics, and he had his supporters. And he was also investigated for animal mistreatment, but no charges were found to be true. Helfer, by the way, created Marine World Africa USA, up in Redwood City by San Francisco. He bought Marine World when it went bankrupt and added an animal park to it. In 1986, the park was moved to Vallejo, California, on the other side of the bay, and now it's Six Flags Discovery Kingdom. Oliver was at Enchanted Village for less than a year. Less than a year! He and the Human Animal Show couldn't save it, and it closed. Helfer continued to exhibit Oliver, though, at Helfer's new place called Gentle Jungle, but it too closed in 1982. Oliver was again sold, and then unfortunately he went through several trainers until in nineteen eighty nine he was sold to the Bugshire Corporation, a company that leased out animals for testing. Oliver was never used for experiments, but he lived in a smallest cage for nine years. While he was there in 1996, his chromosomes were again examined, and this time there was no anomalies. He had perfect chimp DNA. It was decided that his head, the baldness, the flatness, and the size all fell within the range of variability of the common chimp. So he was just a chimp, one that walked upright and felt more comfortable acting like a human, but still a chimp. How he you like that? After all the fuss, he was just a weirdo. Fortunately for Oliver, there's more to his story. He didn't stay at the lab forever. An old friend of the Burgers, who had once tried to buy him, started looking for Oliver. It took a while, but he discovered Oliver at Buckshire. His name was Vincent Pace. Pace tried to buy Oliver, but was not successful. Later, though, he called a friend, Wallace Sweat who founded primarily primates, an animal sanctuary. And eventually, in 1998, Oliver was transferred to the sanctuary, to a big cage with other chimps. Even here there were some problems, but eventually Oliver was able to live out his life in the outdoors with a female chimp companion that didn't seem to notice his weirdness. He died in 2012, wrapped in his favorite hammock with the female raisin by his side. While well, I know Oliver was real now, my attempt to confirm a memory led me to a bittersweet story of a very unusual character and fellow weirdo named Oliver. <laughs>
1: 泣いた
8: form words.
10: You know what they say, human see, human do.
11: Beware the beast man, for he is the devil's pawn. Alone among God's primates, he kills for sport, or lust, or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land.
1: Shut up! It's a madhouse.
10: A house. You could get hurt doing that, Doctor.
8: Oh, don't be silly. He's perfectly tame.
10: Ah, uh, they're all tame until they take a chunk out of you. Oh, my God. I'm home. All the time. We finally
1: really did it. You maniac! You blew it up! Oh, damn you! God damn you all the hell!
12: In a word, when I mention Planet of the Apes, what comes to your mind? Um, Swiftonian satire. Swiftonian satire? Not science fiction.
13: The, the idea of switching the, the you know, the, uh, the killers of the apes and the, you know, standing with their guns and with their foot on the human being is kind of funny.
6: Smile! <laughs> <laughs>
13: I think it was on the, the, uh, the Supreme Court of the monkey, the Monkey Supreme Court. The monkey court. Dr. Zero, would you tell bright eyes to be quiet? My name is Tim. Hey, silence the animal.
10: Science fiction is creating a reality that doesn't really exist. I mean, there is no Planet of the Apes. <laughs> but the first one was uh, Frank Schaffner uh, was directing And uh, it was, it's of its kind, it created a whole genre.
11: Planet of the Apes spawned four sequels, two television series, and a mountain of merchandise. It became a cultural phenomenon, and it started as the vision of two men, a French novelist named Pierre Boulle, and a Hollywood film producer named Arthur P. Jacobs. It was during Doolittle's lengthy pre-production phase that Arthur approached Zanuck with an idea for another motion picture. It too played with the concept of talking to the animals, but in a much more serious way. It was called Planet of the Apes. In 1963, Jacobs had acquired the rights to a novel entitled Le Planète des Singes. Or, The Monkey Planet, by one of France's most acclaimed authors, Pierre Boulle. Le Planète des Singes told the story of three astronauts who travel to an alien world where man is a primitive beast, dominated by a race of super-intelligent apes. Jacobs read the book shortly before its official publication, and quickly purchased the screen rights. He felt that the concept would make for a visually intriguing, highly original motion picture. But Boole disagreed. He considered the novel one of his lesser works with no potential for screen success. During the next few months, Jacobs commissioned a series of sketches depicting his concept of the ape's strange alien world. Seven different artists worked on various concepts as the story evolved. He
10: prepared a merchandising book for Planet of the Apes like nothing I have seen before or since. It was about 130 pages of ideas.
11: And that's what Arthur was, he was an idea man. And he was marvelous at it. Jacobs also contacted Rod Serling, a prolific writer most famous for his highly acclaimed Twilight Zone television series. Intrigued by Boole's novel, Serling began adapting it into a screenplay, but the challenge proved harder than anticipated. After nearly a year, he completed more than 30 drafts. With paintings and script in hand, Jacob spent the next year pitching Planet of the Apes to all of the major studios. But everywhere he went, he was met with the same response. No. Rejected and ridiculed, Jacobs reached back to his roots as a publicist. He knew there was only one thing that got Hollywood executives excited about a project... ...a star. On June the 5th, 1965, Arthur made an appointment with one of the most respected and powerful actors in Hollywood, Charlton Heston a veteran of blockbusters like The Ten Commandments and an Academy Award winner for his performance in Ben-Hur.
10: I was approached by Arthur Jacobs with Pierre Boulle's novel, Planet of the Apes, and a remarkable series of paintings of scenes in the picture that uh, Arthur envisioned. And it attracted me. I liked the idea of the talking monkeys in the different civilization. and It was simply a marvelous idea for a movie.
11: Heston also recommended bringing a director onto the team, Franklin Schaffner, having just finished a film with him called The Warlord.
10: So Arthur already had two key ingredients, a lead actor and a director. And he would go from studio to studio, and they would say, what are you talking about? Spaceships? Talking monkeys? You're out of your mind. That's Saturday morning cereals. Get out of here.
11: The reluctance of studio executives isn't hard to imagine.
14: Looks like the real thing.
11: Up to that time, actors in ape costumes were more often found in low-budget bee pictures and tended to be more laughable than believable. But despite the obstacles, Jacobs persevered.
10: Finally, uh, Richard Zanuck, who was then running Fox, having just taken it over from his father, said, you know, uh, let's have a meeting on this.
12: I'd made a picture or two with Arthur at that time. And uh, we signed him to a multiple picture deal. So he presented the script, which needed a lot of work with these sketches, and uh, gave me a small pitch on it, and I read it over the weekend and, and was captivated by it. And, but I had some reservations.
10: Dick Staneck said, uh, these monkeys, they're really going to be actors, right, in makeup, not real monkeys. We said, well, sure, of course. He said, uh, what if people laugh at the makeups? You
12: know, it could be some very humorous uh, idea if not done properly. And I asked him um, to make this
11: test. On March the 8th, 1966, Arthur and his team went to Fox and shot the test.
10: We erected a jury-rigged set. The whole test cost $5,000, which was the limit Dick would give us. Uh, Good evening, Mr. Thomas. Feeling fine, I hope. Considering I've been kept in a cage for six weeks, I'm fine. Yes.
1: Good.
11: The test featured Charlton Heston and Hollywood legend Edward G. Robinson as the orangutan leader, Dr. Zayas. The
12: responsible elements in making that picture acceptable was the production design, the uh, costuming, and the makeup because what the makeup did was allow those actors to use their mouths, uh, work the nose, and above all did not take away from that cinematic element again, which was the eyes. You could uh, read the eyes of the actors, and that was enormously important. Not fell, flew.
11: Flight is a scientific impossibility. And even if it weren't, why fly?
13: The makeup took a long time, two hours in the morning. I remember Kim Hunter who played one of, I guess, a chimp and uh, poor darling sitting in the makeup chair and a tear just rolled down her cheeks. She'd been sitting there for, you know, two or three hours putting these appliances on.
10: (laughs) And they would have to have their lunch through a straw and it's claustrophobic to have something on your face like that and when it begins itching you're just dying Away. I don't know how they did it. I couldn't have done it myself. I remember when they had the cast and crew screening and uh, I saw this handsome woman and she said, Chuck, how are you? And I said, I- I'm sorry, help me. And she said, it's, it's Kim, Kim Hunter. And of course, she played the, the ape scientist,
5: Doctor, I'd like to kiss you goodbye.
10: And I had never seen her without the makeup, never. And I'd only seen her as the ape.
8: <laughs> All right, but you're so damned ugly.
5: We were trying to go for a concept, and I was the only one doing it, you know. And uh, I says, "Go, go uh, like an ape. Want it directly like an ape? Do you want it half human?" you want what do you want yeah that's what we want you know that that kind of re, reply do that you know and, and that happened about two weeks Then I got mad and I says well I'm gonna do my own concept and stop telling me what I shouldn't do you know and then I said, see what happens and that's how it went and they were they were then they they got confidence in me First off, it was no confidence, but that's how, how we had done it. So that was into January, and concept concept came in a month and a half or something. F- full concept. I mean, tries and failures, and uh, it was a matter of a few months. Only a few months of all the the things. We had, I created an assembly line, I had them working through the night, a shift, putting rubber in the oven, 11 o'clock at night, taking it out in the morning. You know, no one ever did this before, see? And and the biggest fear we had, I had, was, will they laugh at me or accept me? I mean, what they, I I present as as, uh, apes at that time, and and they looked pretty good. You know, but I thought if they laughed, this is going to be a Mickey Mouse. And no one left the theater. And they clapped. They got up and clapped. And I, uh, with all the pressure that had been gone, uh, going on before, it alleviated it. You know, and I felt that it was going to be a fair picture. You know, never as good as I... I found out it turned into...
12: None of us knew that it was going to be such a hit. What a hit, For yeah. we judge it to be the picture that would be moderately successful at best, and at worst, would be um, rejected
10: by the viewers. The, a day or so after the, the first opening, when they were actually had uh, uh, people going to the movie, Dick Zana called me. And he said, Chuck, you have no idea the legs this picture is going to have. He said, it may be the most successful film we have ever made at Fox. i got to do another film. i got to do a a sequel. I said, oh, come on, Dick. This is the movie. It's a great idea, and and we've made a good movie out of a great movie. But that's it. I said, "Uh, we don't want I said, he said, we have to do it. And I can't do it if you're not in it. And I said, how about if you kill me in the first scene? He said, uh, how about if you disappear in the first scene and you get killed in the last scene? I said, that's pretty slick, Dick.
13: <laughs> but I said, that's actually good.
12: Were you surprised that uh, Planet of the Apes kept on coming back in different
13: forms? Not at all, not at all. No, 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 it was great. And usually the sequels are never quite as good as the others. No, I'm not really surprised by much anymore.
14: caught up in a strange vortex of energy during a celestial probe. The two astronauts were propelled through the time barrier. They landed 2,000 years after their takeoff on a strange continent that had once been known as Earth. From one of the most successful motion pictures ever made, comes an exciting new television series, Planet of the Apes.
4: Planet of the Apes takes place on Earth, but some 2,000 years from now, there's been some sort of cataclysm that's changed the whole complexity of the planet. We find that the whole world was turned upside down, that when civilization regenerated itself, the Apes became the dominant members of society. We're creating a world that never existed, so we have plenty of latitude both in the behavior of people, the society we're creating, the way it looks, the way we see civilization regenerating itself is with the apes, of course, at the top. The center of government is Ape City, where there are just a few humans who work as clerks and servants. Most of the humans live in comparatively rural communities. There are many special and difficult production problems. Foremost is that of the ape makeup. Takes close to four weeks to get an ape made up. First, we have to start with a gooey plaster substance and make a mask of the face. Then, when that hardens, it's cast to mold. And on that mold, uh, the facial characteristics of the simians are built. We spend somewhere between three and a half and four hours putting this appliance, these appliances, uh, onto the ape characters. The show is going to have a very strong philosophic base. For the Planet of the Apes is a world regenerating itself from our own civilization, mirroring in a strange way what's both good and bad about our own lives. And our two astronauts are gonna find themselves in a world where evolution has gone completely haywire.
14: Roddy McDowell, Ron Harper and James Martin, star in Planet of the Apes.
7: We want
9: guns!
6: Now, the final chapter in the Incredible Ape Saga. There it is,
9: our wars. This is the hell my forefathers used to speak about.
13: This background radiation alone will give us 300 guns an hour.
6: The battlefield, a dead city, 12 years after the ultimate bomb has been dropped. The prize, the right to inherit what's left of the Earth. The contestants, ape against man. The most unbelievable showdown ever filmed. As the mutants, strange transformed men who live underground like moles, battle the apes to decide who will be master and who will be slain.
9: I don't want to have to remember my husband. I want
1: to love him now. But
6: we who survive
14: create a new race. In the aftermath of his victory, the surface of the world was ravaged by the vilest war in human history.
6: Climaxing the epic series which made motion picture history comes the last, the most spectacular of all the ape adventures. Out of the Forbidden City they roared to settle once and for all who had the right to rule the planet, ape or man.
3: Planet of the Apes!
14: Of the Apes. Three astronauts traveling in a state of suspended animation approach their destination after 18 months in a spacecraft flying at the speed of light, only to make an unprogrammed splashdown into a vast foreboding lake.
7: What went wrong? I don't know.
14: She went under before I could listen to the tapes. Be thankful that this air isn't as poisonous as it looks. Gone. We're here to stay. But where are we? And even more important, when? According to Hashline's theory of time in a vehicle moving at the speed of light...
7: Mother Earth will have aged a couple of thousand years while we... We have outlived everyone we knew while we have scarcely aged at all.
14: Great. Stranded 2,000 years in the future on a lifeless planet revolving around some unknown star. Lifeless is right. Nothing can grow here. That lake we landed in is almost pure salt. Don't give up too soon. We have three days worth of
7: food and water. Three days to find life on a dead planet. Landon, coming? In a minute. Ha! And I thought you were ready to give up.
14: The astronaut's trek for life takes them across a bleak and hostile landscape. I can't figure this place There's a a thick cloud of dust But it's as humid as a jungle Lightning and thunder But no rain I, I give up I can't drag my feet Don't, Dodge Don't move your feet What is it? It's life Then we're going to make it Listen That roar Is it a waterfall? That is beautiful Don't drink till I test it. It's okay. Let me at it. Hold it! Company!
7: So much for our dead planet theory. Hello!
14: That's the old charm, Taylor. Who or what were they? That footprint looks human. Maybe you guys didn't notice, but that pretty one looked very human.
7: Hey, not bad for a 2,000-year-old man. Here's their trail. They looked like primitive men. I think we've found a Stone Age culture.
10: You know, I think we could become big shots on this planet.
7: A rifle shot in the Stone Age? The primitives are being hunted down by gorillas on horseback.
14: Suddenly, the spectators become part of the hunt.
7: Look out! They're after us, too! Dodge! Ah! Landon, this is madness!
14: Seeing Dodge shot dead and Landon trampled, Taylor makes a desperate run for freedom, only to find himself facing one of the ground gorillas who have been flushing out the terrified primitives. In a blind rage, Taylor seizes the long stick from the surprise hunter and the beater finds himself being beaten.
7: This is for Dodge! And this is for Landon! And...
14: A rifle cracks and Taylor feels fire at his throat.
3: A really vicious beast. All the more reason to wipe them all out. But I'm sure the animal psychologist will want to save this one for experiments.
14: After a long period of blackness, Taylor's mind swims back to consciousness. He finds himself strapped down, and dimly he realizes he is receiving blood. Then he
10: passes out again.
8: This is the one with the strange clothes?
10: Yes, Dr. Zira. He's lost a lot of blood. I don't know why we're bothering to save him. Filthy humans.
14: Taylor wakes for good to discover he is living his nightmare. He is caged like an animal in an animal hospital.
8: Good morning, bright eyes. You interest me, bright eyes. Oh, I won't hear it you. I'm an animal psychologist. <laughs> but how can I explain that to you? I'm convinced that humans have great intelligence. If only you had the gift of speech.
14: Taylor stares in amazement at the talking chim. He tries to answer, but his throat wound has robbed him of speech. Now it is Zira's turn to stare in amazement at the dumb human who seems to be mouthing words.
8: Bright eyes. Are you imitating my mouth movements?
14: In frustration, Taylor suddenly grabs the psychologist's clipboard and pencil.
3: Hey, give that back. I warn you not to get too close, Dr. Zira. All humans are vicious
14: beasts. But Zira is shaken to the core by Taylor's note. My name is Taylor. Zira shows Taylor's note to her fiancé.
8: Cornelius, I tell you, he has ape intelligence. A human wrote this? He could prove your theory about a missing link between the lowly human beast and the civilized ape.
14: Yes, yes. Dr. Zayas would have to let me pursue my archaeological research then. A writing human. If only he could talk. Meanwhile, Taylor has recovered his self-control. Nova, is
7: that what they call you? Thanks for saving my life. Hey, I'm talking. My voice has come back.
14: Several days later...
7: We've come for the one called Bright Eyes. It's Taylor, not Bright Eyes. I've told the authorities about your talking trick, Bright
14: Eyes. Now you'll see what comes of being too clever. They'll remove your brain to study it. Suddenly, realizing his helplessness, Taylor struggles vainly.
7: He's strong for a human. I club him, but Dr. Zayas
8: wants him at an inquiry.
14: In collar and leash, Taylor is led through the door of a forbidding inquiry room.
7: Dr. Zira, I can
14: talk!
8: Shh! I heard about it. And Cornelius and I arranged this inquiry to try to save your life.
14: The inquiry is a fiasco. In vain does Taylor try to tell his story.
7: We came from outer space. From a distant planet called Earth. Nonsense! Dr. Cornelius,
3: do you believe this preposterous nonsense?
14: Not entirely, Dr. Zayas, but he does accurately describe the eastern desert region where I made my archaeological discoveries.
3: Your discoveries were scientific heresy, and you have been forbidden to speak of them. I am a fair ape, Bright Eyes, but as Minister of Science, I believe in proof.
7: The companions you spoke of, could they confirm this wild tale? One is dead at your hands. The other, I don't know. Perhaps he was also captured. Very well. Let us see if your fictitious astronaut friend can be found among the
3: survivors of the hunt in which you were captured, Taylor.
8: Taylor, do not antagonize them needlessly. Our careers are in jeopardy and your life. You don't
7: fully believe me either, do you, Zira? That's him, Landon, on the left. Landon, John, it's me, Taylor. Let him approach, gods! You vicious savages. You've removed his
3: frontal lobe. Return that animal to his cage before he gets fired.
14: Beaten and hauled back to imprisonment, Taylor gives in to his despair.
7: Nova, this place is insane, mad. For some reason, they fear me, want to destroy me.
10: How can I fight them? I'm all alone. I've come for this male. He's to be transferred to the zoo. Says who? Dr. Zayas, read it for yourself.
3: This is no good. It's not signed. Hit him,
10: bright eyes! <laughs>
14: I'm Lucius, Aunt Zira's nephew. We've arranged your escape. The girl! Under cover of darkness, Zira leads Taylor and Nova to a wagon.
8: Be quiet, and we may manage this. All men look alike to most apes. We will meet Cornelius in the East Desert at his archaeological excavation. He and I must clear ourselves of the heresy charge.
14: Their luck holds, and after a long, tense ride...
7: I'll take this rifle! Nobody's going to capture me again!
14: Cornelius leads the group to a strange and somehow magnificent cavern. I want you to see my archaeological digs, and perhaps some surprises even for you, Taylor. I can't believe this! Spectacles, dentures, beautiful
7: silverware! Cornelius, this represents a civilization more advanced than yours!
14: I know. Therein lies the heresy. Our schools teach that the ape evolved from the animal-human. Have they been teaching us lies?
3: Necessary lies for the protection of our race and for which, unfortunately, you must all die. Dr. Zayas, in the interest of science... In the interest of survival, Dr. Cornelius, killer humans must be forever kept in their place.
14: No more gobbledygook talk. At the speed of a cat, Taylor bounds to the cave entrance and pins Dr. Zayas.
7: In the interest of our survival, Zayas, send back your guards or you perish. Taylor, you wouldn't. Of course he would. What are your terms, killer human? You're a fine one to speak of killing. I want freedom for the girl and myself plus a good horse and a pardon for my friends. Granted. Dr. Zira, I'd like to kiss you goodbye.
8: Of course, Bright Eyes, but I do wish you weren't so ugly.
14: Am I safe in untying you, Dr. Zayas?
3: I am an ape of my word, but you realize the cave must be sealed up.
14: I can't fight you, Dr. Zayas, but the humans, what will become of them?
3: They go to meet their destiny.
7: Just hold tight, Nova! What's that up ahead? (laughs) Oh no! No! Nova! Now all the pieces come together! This is my planet Earth 2,000 years in the future! And my civilization destroyed itself! Oh, Nova, Nova, you are what is left of the human race.
2: Well, that's about it. But as usual, Uncle Frank has one more thing. On August 26th, my birthday, in 1883, the Indonesian island of Krakatoa was obliterated by a volcanic eruption the sound of which could be heard to up to 3,000 miles away. The tsunamis it unleashed killed more than 36,000 people. To mark that day, we have a song, Krakatoa, by the Highballs.